You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. I have to take that and turn it into Thanksgiving. And if I still am exercised about something that's bothering me, turn all that energy into something constructive to solve the problem rather than complaining about the problem. And that's a needed goal right here, complaining. Thanksgiving and constructive work. Don't grumble, that's complaining. When you grumble a lot, that shows you're unhappy with God's oversight of your life. He should be doing a better job. Your mind has a lot of power, as does your tongue. When both aren't under control, the world needs to watch out. In today's message, Pastor Tom will be sharing practical ways to take back control of your words. It starts in your mind. Are you taking the thoughts you have captive? When a harsh thought or a moment of complaining surface, can you change the narrative? It takes work to do this with every thought and every word, but the effort won't be wasted and the Holy Spirit is here to help. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message, wielding your tongue for good or for ill. Women stumble. Kids stumble. Parents stumble. The wife stumbles. Amen. The husband stumbles. And by the way, your boss stumbles. And uh, the workers that work for the boss stumble. The church leader stumbles. The elders stumble. All the leaders of the church stumble. Your small group leader stumbles. Your favorite singer stumbles. The person you look up to, discipled you, he stumbles. Every Christian stumbles. It's a lot of stink to go around. James does not use the word, but this truth immediately calls for showers of overflowing grace, don't you think? That's, that's been a, a dirty meditation. And in media calls for let's get under the showers of grace and mercy and remind ourselves that God washes it all clean. This fact alone that we all stumble in many ways ought to keep us from harsh judgments about it. Did you hear what so-and-so said? That is just so rude. I would never say anything like that. Except that I have. Judgments should be withheld when we know we are practitioners of the same. But he even says more, and I know I'm belaboring this, but I think it's important. We all stumble in many ways. Many is pola. Many, that's what it means. Many different kinds of ways, variety of ways. We don't all stumble in exactly the same way. See, the thing about sin is the other person who sins with a different kind of sin than my sin, that's the worst sin than my kind of sin. My sin's not all that bad. That kind of sin is inexcusable. It ought to be harsh church discipline there, and we ought to really come down on that sin, but not my sin. My sin's bad. We took care of that. You know, it's, it's understandable. <laughs> and that's how the carnal mind thinks, right? Why isn't the church doing more to stop people like that? Because that's now in the category of the worst sin. In your mind, it is. In Scripture, it might not be. What are the variety of ways in which we sin? Well, we sin with the tongue. Let's start there. 
gossip, slander, that's backstabbing, boasting, lying, and more. We sin with our spirit, our mind, jealousy, envy, bitterness. Husbands are told, don't be embittered against your wives. Anger for the wrong reasons, which is the usual anger. We sin with our bodies, fornication, laziness, drunkenness, gluttony. We sin with our minds, arrogance, idolatry, vain imaginations. You could do a lot of things creatively with your mind that you ought never to do. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you what? Should do it. Doubt creeps into the mind. Doubt. There are sins of commission. You know what that is. We commit them. Stealing, lying, murdering, adultery. But often for church people, the greatest sins are sins of what? Omission, which means we omit to do things. How's your giving to the church? Do you need to have a three-part sermon series to teach you the importance of giving to the church? How is your uh, generosity towards brothers in need? How are you doing defending the helpless? Often we just kind of just doing our own thing. We don't think of ourselves as sinners. But standing there and whistling can be sin, doing nothing. There are multiple stains upon our reputation as human beings. And yes, sin with the tongue might be at the top of the list. Sin with the tongue is so prevalent. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, that already seems like James set it up as an impossibility, right? Right? What an impossible feat. If anybody does not sin in what he says, well, that just is impossible. He is a perfect man. We all stumble in so many ways. If you could find a man, just one man, one man anywhere, who never, ever, ever stumbled in what he said, there you would find a perfect man. The tongue. Man, that little organ inside the mouth. Just that little thing brings forth so much stumbling. Why is the tongue so hard to control? The answer you're going to find in this passage, we'll deal with it more, is that our spirits and our thinking is hard to control. Our heart's motives are hard to control. The ease of sinning with the mouth is written and illustrated all over Scripture. Jewish literature was rife with warnings of sin. Proverbs 15, 28 for another. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You've been around a really wicked person and you know they just pour out wicked things. You feel dirty just being around them, don't you? Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips bring strife and his mouth calls for blows. Hit me. That's basically what a fool is saying. Punch me. I'm stupid. Give me a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are the snare of his soul. It's so well known that ancient man didn't need any supernatural revelation from God to figure out that the mouth was a huge, huge problem. It was well attested in Hellenistic culture. The philosophers discussed the tongue. Their solutions were different than scripture, but they often understood the same problem. None of them could master it. So if you control your tongue, you're a perfect man or woman. That word perfect, teleos, can mean either absolute perfection or often it should be translated as maturity of character. Its basic meaning is it's related to the word that we would translate as end, what's on the end or what is the goal to get to the end. And so it's something that's been brought to its intended end or goal. 
And since James just said that no one is sinlessly perfect, he's probably not thinking of sinless perfection here, but of maturity as he did back in chapter 1, verse 4, where it's translated or is thought of as maturity. Dan McCartney in his commentary has a helpful comment here. He says, Thus the point is not that a person who controls the tongue is totally and perfectly blameless, or that such a one has achieved total moral perfection. That would either contradict the previous clause, we all stumble, or be purely hypothetical. James's meaning is that such a person has become truly grown up in his faith, very mature in other words. An absolutely perfect mouth, we mentioned this before, would be the Lord Jesus Christ got to bring you back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, right? Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Find me one other human being where it can be said that at no time in their life was there deceit that was not found in their, in their life. No deceit. But it goes on. It says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. When are you most likely to revile somebody else? When they're reviling you, right? When you're put under the squeeze and they're saying untrue things about you and they're ripping at your character, you may tolerate it, you may clench your fists and bite your tongue and sooner or later you're going to find someone and you're going to say, that person was all over me today, they're a terrible person and you just begin reviling right back. That's what we do. And then it says, while suffering, he uttered no threats. If you have power and someone is causing you to suffer, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to reach for whatever that power is and you're going to give threats. And Christ from the cross uttered no threats at all. He kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. That's utter perfection of the mouth, people. When you are squeezed to the utmost, when you are yelled at, reviled at, humiliated, spat upon, stripped, flogged, threatened, laughed at, when vitriol comes your way from multiple locations, and you can only say the kinds of things that Jesus Christ said from the cross, then you are absolutely a perfect person. The old man just jettisons out more reviling and vitriol in return. We curse, we get red hot, we get bent out of shape. We don't like to say we just sin, but that's what we do. Again, one more passage that shows the perfection of the tongue of the Lord Jesus is Luke chapter 11, verse 53. It says, when Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Imagine being a teacher and all the time someone's going around with a little notebook, you know, just waiting for you to say just one wrong thing. That's what they do to all the political candidates now, right? Oh, they said... Write that one down. Blast it out. Who cares if it's taken in context or not? They said it. Man, Jesus, they couldn't find anything against him. His tongue was flawless. Ours, not so much. That's why, we, by the way, we try to follow him. That's why we follow in his footsteps, because he has the perfect tongue. Sinning with the tongue is so prevalent. Mere religious activity will do nothing to guarantee that you will not sin with your mouth. Coming in here, singing those great songs today won't help you when you go back home and prevent you from sinning with your mouth. How do I know that? Well, look forward at verse 9. Look forward at verse 9, James 3, 9. What does it say? With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we what? We what? We curse men who are made in the image of God. There it is. We come into church. We bless God. That's going to help me and my tongue. No, it's not. Mere religious activity won't. Please remember, too, when you think of sins of the tongue or sins of the lips or sins of the mouth, 
that we extend that to all things electronic? Electronic? Emails? Tweets? Close enough. That's your mouth going through the electronics and sinning. Hashtag, don't press send. <laughs> Erase it and go to prayer and pull out some scripture and judge yourself first. Then if you have something to say, I'd recommend if it's got you that bothered, you never send it through email. Just my advice. Go talk to the person if you can. The media itself sets a terrible example of the tongue, endlessly taking words out of context or out of proportion, generating controversy. Why? Ratings. Remember that. There is such a tremendous need for self-control in every situation of life. Your environment will not guarantee that your tongue will not sin. There you are again on that beautiful day. We're back out in the autumn forest. And, and you're having a picnic you're having a picnic and the food is great and everything, is, but you forgot to bring something from home and the little D word slips out or worse. Perfect day. There comes the cuss word. There you are having a great conversation with a brother in Christ out in the parking lot, the foyer, someplace like that. Everything's going great because you guys agree on what you're talking about. And then it turns to the thing you don't agree about, politics. And all of a sudden, the face is foul and the words turn not so nice anymore. There you are, counseling one of the sheep, only to find out a few sessions later, that sheep had no intention of listening to anything you were going to teach them anyway. And you're tempted with an impatient counsel. There you are, sitting down to give devotions to the little ones at home. Oh, man, you prayed about this one. And there are the little ingrateful ones <laughs> with a haughty five-year-old swagger. And you just want to put your thumb on them. You ingrate. Temperature goes up, and the Spirit of God goes out the window. <laughs> so much for the family devotions, figuratively speaking. It is amazing how many times we can sin with our tongue in a week. But verse 2 says, if you can control your tongue, then you can control your whole soma, your body. That's the normal word for physical body. Control that, everything else will be a piece of cake. Now, of course, that tells us a couple of things. The body does need controlling, and the tongue is the hardest of all in the body to control. Yet bridling the tongue to some extent has to be accomplished by Christians, has to be necessary because back in chapter 1, if you look there, verse 26, it says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So we're going to have to make some progress here in sanctification. Otherwise, we're really not even Christians. Our religion is worthless. So I think that's an excellent place to start. Take the challenge. Begin to take an inventory of your tongue. Where is it failing exactly? Write it down. Find out. This week, next week, the week after. Follow yourself around and listen into your tongue and write it down and begin to question it. By the end of the week, you'll probably be saying nothing. You're in a conversation you're like, mm -hmm. Could it be slander that you don't want to call slander, but it's just, well, we need to talk about that person because they're such a pain. 
Cussing, is that your issue? You go to work and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, becomes D and S and F, etc. Is that what's happening to you? Can't be a good example like that, right? Don't cuss in public or in private. Don't gossip. It tears down reputations. It could be complaining. I have a goal in that regard. When I catch myself complaining, that's literally my goal, because sometimes I'll start complaining. I'm not even aware I'm doing it. it. It happens too often. And somewhere in the midst of complaining, my goal is, and the men on Friday morning know, I have to take that and turn it into Thanksgiving. And if I still am exercised about something that's bothering me, turn all that energy into something constructive to solve the problem rather than complaining about the problem. And that's a needed goal right here, complaining. Thanksgiving and constructive work. Don't grumble, that's complaining. When you grumble a lot, that shows you're unhappy with God's oversight of your life. He should be doing a better job. That was the Israelites in the wilderness, remember? He brought us out here to what? To die. No, he brought you out here to give you the promised land. Did you forget that little thing? And they didn't get it because they wouldn't believe him. Maybe your sin is belittling others. Oh, you can't help it. You hear somebody talk and you just gotta just kind of just, you gotta just talk a little bit down to them. You gotta just get a little bit down to them because they're kind of below you anyway. And the words come out and they're like, well, you know, I knew that. Whatever it is, just a little tone. Maybe minutes to your wives. It's just that belittling. And it happens so much you don't even know. Maybe your wife should tally them up this week and bring them in. Maybe she can all come in with index cards and little tallies. No, that'll cause problems. That'll cause marital problems. That's, that's me talking. That's not the Lord there. Do that. It could be dishonesty. Maybe you're a flatter. Oh, you're good with the tongue. You're sweet. Oh, you have a nice personality. You're charming. And you flatter with the tongue and you get your way. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's exaggerating. Maybe it's making up stories. Maybe you're a good storyteller. What should we be doing? Not those things. Real quickly, for starters, silence is a golden thing sometimes, right? Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. There you go. But silence won't really fix the problem of the tongue, right? Restraining your words helps, but it doesn't go all the way. Another verse that talks about restraining the lips is where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Just start with that. If you're a very talkative person, talk Less. That will help. You have less of a chance of committing sin with a mouth if you're talking less. But that's not really the solution. It's just sort of the beginning of restraining there. There's got to be something more than that. And I think that Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 that says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouths, but only such a word that is good for edification that it may give grace to those who hear I think that's a great place to start because there in that verse it says, what I'm going to do with my mouth is I'm not going to just shut it. I'm going to replace my words with better words. So where I want to have some unwholesome, some putrid, some lousy kind of words, what I'm going to do is not, well, I may have to close my mouth at first, but I'm going to replace them with edifying words. I'm going to try to think of what the need is of the person in front of me or the group in front of me or the people I work with, and I'm going to try to figure out what words I can give to them to be a blessing to them, to edify them. Edification doesn't mean building them up in their pride. It doesn't mean having them stick their chest out like Goliath or be pompous like Nebuchadnezzar. When we build other people, People in edification, they're building them up in their faith in Christ and their awareness of God. Try to figure out the words that will help them with that. 
And I think that's important. So it starts with silence, but I think it can be with replacing words. Starts with just being, just don't be hasty with your words, but then ponder what to say and then replace the bad words with the good words. I doubt that there's a person in this room that wishes that he could, he or she could take back some words that you have said at some point in time. And the truth is you can never, ever take back your words. You can't. The damage is already done. Best you can do is from here on out is to show graciousness, kindness, ask for forgiveness, be humble about it, do everything that you can build them up. They say it takes 10 words of encouragement to reverse one word of wrongful criticism. Think about that, in the home particularly. And the home is where a lot of this is going to happen. This is the very best advice. Replace evil words with good ones. Be thinking about what to say. Colossians 4, 6 adds, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Since by yourself, you yourself cannot control your tongue. Since we're learning that from here, you have to invite the scripture, the spirit of God, your Lord Jesus Christ into this realm. Take over my tongue, teach my tongue, train my tongue. Get busy applying those things. And as you do, they become godly habits. And the spirit of God affirms you. And you begin in that realm, the realm of the spirit, the realm of the scripture to find power that you didn't have within yourself. And lo and behold, now your tongue is starting to sound sweet. Your tongue is starting to build other people up. Your tongue is ministering to people. We put on those edifying words and we don't grieve the Spirit of God, as it says in Ephesians 4. Yes, the heart of the righteous truly does ponder how to answer. Dr. MacArthur says the gracious words of Christians help retard the moral and spiritual spoilage in the world around them. They also provide strength and comfort to those in need. Our graciousness reflects the grace of Christ who uses our graciousness to draw others to his grace. Be gracious in your speech. That verse in Ephesians and the verse in Colossians challenge us always to be asking, what is the need of those in front of me? Parents, your children have needs. Yes, they can be rascals at times, but they have needs. Find out what they need to hear. Make your teaching wise and sweet and understandable to their ears. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds literally sweetness to his lips. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That friend of yours who's hurting and needs counsel, don't give them quick counsel. Identify with them, love them. Let the words that first come out of your mouth show you understand what they're going through. And it won't be something like this, I understand what you're going through. Don't say that because you don't understand what they're going through unless you've been through it. Tell them, I want to understand what you're going through. I see the pain that you have. I want to be helpful to you. And find the right words to build them up and edify them. Well, when I was in that situation, what I did was just hold that to yourself. Proverbs 15, 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Oh, yes, the tongue is a power. And we only looked at one of those evidences so far, one indication of its power so far. The tongue is a power. The tongue has great influence. You can use it. You have a mighty sword in your mouth. I hope it doesn't cut. I hope it protects and defends. I hope that it truly benefits other people. And I hope and pray that we all began practicing that or repracticing that again this very week to the glory of Christ, to the advancement of truth. Then maybe one day we can say and, and fully mean it, let the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Pastor Tom challenged you today to do an inventory of your speech. Basically, follow yourself around and discover what you're actually saying. Take note of the times you build people up and the times you tear them down. Be honest with yourself and then take the times you fail to the Lord. He will forgive you and give you a new start, another chance to change. Your speech is powerful. Learn how to use it well. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Pastor Tom's not done talking about the tongue. Next time on Discover Hope, he'll ask how your time of reflection was. How did you use your words in your interactions with others? He'll encourage you to take a look at the motivation behind. Are you trying to make yourself look good? Pastor Tom will remind you to think of others before you let your tongue loose and see how they'll perceive what you're about to say. To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word, so join us again right here on Discover Hope.